Imagine for a moment you are sitting in the office of John Paxson, general manager of the Chicago Bulls. It's 2008. The era of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen is over. The time of three-peats, 71 seasons, and automatic playoff runs is long gone. You have now been 20 years disconnected from true success, and the fans are beginning to demand change. You look to the most common hope for a team's turnaround, the draft. Like every year, the NBA draft was filled with ambitious young talent looking to make their mark on history. Notable names included the duo from UCLA, Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook, their current all-time points leader for the Brooklyn Nets, Brooke Lopez, and Oklahoma City big man, Sergei Ibaka. Paxson had his eyes on all these players, but with the number one overall pick that year, the Bulls not only needed skill, but they also needed an icon for the city. After looking at all options, the Bulls selected a guard from the University of Memphis, who growing up only 20 minutes away from Paxson's office, was coming home to play. This is his story. Hey everyone, I'm John from No Game Scheduled, and often on our show we share our hot takes. But instead of giving our thoughts on things which will happen, we want to share things that have happened. Introducing a deeper, more meaningful branch of our show, DocuTakes, and our first episode, The Tragedy of the Windy City Assassin. Anglewood. Known as one of the most dangerous districts located in Chicago, it serves as the starting point for our story. Born October 4th, 1988, and growing up in a five-person house with 13 people where, quote, five or six of them were crackheads, the path in life was already looking up, simply because it began at rock bottom. And when having to eat a cup of powdered sugar as a meal was commonplace, the only option left at that point was hard work on the basketball court. And hard work he did. Being heavily scouted by colleges from around the country, ultimately the winner in the commitment race was the University of Memphis. Starting in the 2007-2008 season, there seemed to be no lag in start. Playing in 40 games, averaging around 15 points, 4.5 rebounds, and a touch over 4.5 assists. Memphis found themselves in the Final Four of the NCAA Tournament, losing to Kansas. But despite a 38-win season and a trip to the Final Four, technically speaking, this never happened. Memphis was forced to vacate any success from the season, and it was wiped from most of NCAA history. The reason why? Because the Memphis point guard from Englewood never took the SAT, choosing to have a friend take it in his name instead. Being ruled academically ineligible for most players means you are not allowed to participate in competitive sports. Since the 2007-2008 season already occurred, the only option left for Memphis was to wipe such a stellar season from the record. While disappointing, no one is thought of any less. No one blames the coach, school, or team. Besides, whether academically eligible or not, he was moving on to a better team regardless. Having finished 33-49 and 49 the season before, the Chicago Bulls immediately put their new point guard in the starting lineup. On October 28, 2008, he finished his NBA debut with 11 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, and 3 steals in a home court win against division rivals, the Milwaukee Bucks. He electrified his hometown that night, an electricity which would not die out soon. The season was a good turnaround compared to years prior, securing the 7th seed in the playoffs that summer with a 41-41 record. Him and his teammates met the Boston Celtics in the first round of the playoffs, and while it went to a Game 7, the Celtics came out on top. But still, leading his team back to the playoffs in his debut season was a sign better times were coming for the city of Chicago. His rookie season was concluded averaging 16 points, 6 assists, and 4 rebounds, and was awarded Rookie of the Year, beating out players like O.J. Mayo and Brooke Lopez. He improved statistically next season, but failed to move the team into a better position, having an identical 41-41 record. And while they did return to the playoffs, they moved down to the A seed and were eliminated in five games by LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. However, the Cavaliers' joy wouldn't last long. Similar to the Bulls in the previous season, they would lose to the Celtics in the second round and add salt to an open wound, 
LeBron would leave Cleveland that offseason to warmer weather. The city of Chicago, the team, and even he started to question what they were doing on the court. While two average seasons in a row is something most teams would wish for, in his mind, three is unacceptable. In a preseason press conference, he asked reporters, why not? Why can he not be the MVP of the league? Why can't he be the best player of the league? He sees no reason why he can't do that. And in that next season, no one could find a reason either. With Tom Thibodeau taking over as head coach and a newfound confidence in himself and his teammates, he was ready to play. He boosted himself statistically once again, averaging 25 points, 8 assists, and 4 rebounds. With a season high of 42 points against the San Antonio Spurs, teams began to fear him. No longer was he considered a new young player with peak athleticism. He was a threat. That season, the Bulls went 62-20, and and instead of being the last seed, this year they were number one. The first game of the playoffs started with an award ceremony. David Stern, commissioner for the NBA at the time, handed the Bulls starting guard the MVP trophy for that season. Being named the 2010-2011 MVP meant at 22 years old, he was the youngest player to win the award. Everything was looking up for them. They bulldozed the Indiana Pacers in five games. Next, the Atlanta Hawks, who put up a better fight than the Pacers, but they lost in six. The Eastern Conference Finals were next. In their way, the newly formed super team Miami Heat, with Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and fellow MVP candidate LeBron James. Chicago handily took the first game, but the star power Miami proved to be too much and they didn't see another win in that series. Miami would go on to lose to the Dallas Mavericks in the finals, or more appropriately, Dirk Nowitzki and his teammates. Due to a lockout, the 2011-2012 season was shortened. While for owners across the board this meant a loss in revenue, for teams they actually smiled because of this. A lockout means less risk of injury and better rested players. The Bulls finished 50 and 16. They secured the number one seat once again. Miami was coming off of a finals loss and they had a reigning MVP on their team. They opened up the playoffs in a home game against an average Philadelphia 76ers. They were winning by double digits with one minute remaining. Everyone in Chicago was looking to the court and was ready for the running of the Bulls. This was their year. Ask any athlete and they'll tell you what the scariest three words on the planet are. Anterior, crusate, ligament, better known as the ACL. With two minutes remaining in his team's blowout win against the A-seed Philadelphia, he drove the basket in an attempt to pull the defense in. He took a large leap to his right in order to create space. However, when he landed, his life as he knew it would be over with. Tearing his ACL on impact, he would be carried off the court. Little did he know at the time this would be the last time he'd be seeing a court in over a year. The Bulls finished the game 103-91, but with his teammates in such a state of shock and as one of the best players in the league out, the 76ers came back and took the series. Out for the entirety of next season, he was left watching the Bulls go 45-37, finishing with the second seed in the conference. He also bared witness to the Bulls coaching staff begin to move on to the next big thing, which took the form of a 6-7 small forward from Marquette named Jimmy Butler. Butler's career began coming off the bench. But with Chicago star player being injured, space opened up at the lineup, which Butler filled. Not only was the 2012-2013 season spent by physical healing, but mental as well. Even something he admits to this day, seeing the Bulls succeed without him, and also a younger player moving into his spotlight, humbled him during this time. Saying, quote, People love to say, what if I didn't get injured? Well, then I would still be a part of the circus. The circus referring to a deeper meaning where people on the outside of a subject are fed only information people on the inside want them to see. It's no secret the NBA has a problem with staging, but this is a conversation for another time. When he came back, he wasn't the same. 
His averages across the board were down, and it almost began to look like his team didn't know how to play with him anymore. Receiving the benefit of the doubt, everyone assumed he just needed time to get back into it. However, over the next three years, he never dug himself out of that hole. The Bulls never did add another finals championship to their original six, and many people blame, not him, but his injury for such. After the 2015-2016 season, he sat down with a reporter for an interview. When asked about other places he would want to play for, he declined to answer, going on to say that Chicago was his home and he wouldn't want to play anywhere else. Just then his phone rang. On the other end was his agent, informing him he had just been traded to the New York Knicks. Breaking down in tears, he realized the good times were behind him, and those times were moving on. The Knicks wouldn't be his last stop. He would move around the league having seasons with Cleveland, Minnesota, and Detroit. While playing in Minnesota for the Timberwolves, on October 31st, 2018, he became the fifth player in franchise history to score 50 points in a game. Breaking down in tears once again, he thanked the fans, his teammates, and the organization for allowing him to play his game at a time when no one else would. Today, he currently resides back in New York. Coming off the bench of the Knicks, his stats, his game, and his energy are not what they once were. However, unlike many players in the NBA today, he's just happy to be playing, and he's thankful for the opportunities which are given to him. And when the Knicks have to travel to Chicago for an away game, anytime he touches the ball, goes to the free throw line, or checks into the game, you'll hear an MVP chant ring through the stadium as a reminder to him he still has a home in Chicago. And maybe one day not so far in the distant future, when you travel to the United Center, you'll look up in the rafters and next to the all-time greats of Jerry Sloan, Scottie Pippen, and Michael Jordan, you'll see a jersey that not only acts as a reminder, but as a warning that nobody escapes the Windy City Assassin, number one, Derrick Rose.